In this final installment of this year's Hope Lives series, we're going to spend some time focusing on the answer to a single question, the question of why. Why do we bother to do all of this stuff in the first place? You know, why at the, at the end of November and the beginning of December do we year after year launch into the same teaching series every single year? You know, why do we often cover the very same subjects again and again and again? Why in this particular year did Nate Dirks want to invite us into lifestyles of relational reciprocity, experiencing mutuality instead of just living one directional charity? Why did Mandy Casper plead that every single one of us across our community would actively participate in the anchor cause of our location and not miss out? And why would Chris Fowler inspire us to an ongoing life of receiving and giving love to each other in a way that our anchor causes seek to stimulate? Why do we do all of that? And maybe more to the point, why do we even have anchor causes in the first place? And why in a church like ours does over 70% of our financial resources get invested into supporting them? Why do we bother to cultivate these unlikely friendships with people who've experienced homelessness? Why do we try to foster kinship with people uh, suffering from food insecurity? Why try to cultivate a family dynamic with migrant farm workers? And why in recent years would we bother seeking to become better relatives with our indigenous neighbors? And why, through a partnership with a, an organization like Compassion Canada, would we partner with them to sponsor children and as a church support child survival programs on every continent in order to strengthen and stimulate relationships with the global poor. Why would we do all of that? And why would we do any of that? Well, as they say, uh, if it looks like a squirrel, and it runs like a squirrel, but you're in church? The answer is probably Jesus. And so we're gonna spend our time today staring in the face of the ultimate why that we do any of this in the why of the person of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus engaging in a kind of reciprocal, unlikely friendships with people that in his society were otherwise pushed to the fringes was actually something that was predicted of Jesus even before Jesus was born. We've looked at this passage before from Luke chapter 4 where Jesus reads a, a, a part of a prophecy uh, delivered hundreds of years earlier by a prophet named Isaiah. And in Luke 4 verse 18 it says this. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You know, hundreds of years earlier, it had already been predicted that the promised Jewish Savior, the Messiah, would live this way. 
And so it's no surprise that this way of life was Jesus' legacy, that Jesus lived a life of love expressed in compassion and justice. Jesus taught a life of love expressed in compassion and justice. And Jesus invited others to get involved in and participate in a life of love expressed in compassion and justice. So it shouldn't surprise us around here that when it comes to describing a life of seeking after Jesus, a life of living as a follower of his, a life of love expressed in compassion and justice wouldn't be somewhere near the bullseye of the dartboard. And that's why in a church like ours, we anchor ourselves in teachings from Philippians chapter two as an example so frequently where the apostle Paul says this, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The simple invitation for people who would aspire or endeavor to follow Jesus is simply to follow Jesus, to learn of him in order to increasingly live more like him. That's why the Apostle Paul says to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, to adopt his way of life for ourselves. And what is that way of life? Well, Paul describes it in Jesus' case as being in very nature God, but not considering that equality with God something to be grasped, but instead making himself nothing and taking on the role of a servant. In a way that we've described around here many times, acknowledging his privilege, but relinquishing that privilege for those of less privilege. That's the way of life that Jesus lived expressing love through compassion and justice by leveraging his privilege for those of less privilege. That's why the person of Jesus is so bedrock to our why. That's why we do all of this. And that's why we invite people into this way of life, because that's who Jesus was and what he invites followers of his and communities of his that seek to bear his resemblance to be and to do. Because Jesus came to incarnate love, followers of Jesus and communities of Jesus followers get to become love incarnate. That's the why. In fact, this Hope Live series, I think in a lot of ways, flows out of the previous series that we just journeyed through as a church family, the seven weeks that we devoted to what we called the bullseye, learning that at the end of the day, the Bible reveals a surprising twist centered on the person of Jesus, and it invites followers of his to put Jesus at the center. And when we do, we move towards him and increasingly towards his new covenant, new command, life of love that in Jesus' way is expressed through compassion and justice, specifically through cultivating these unlikely friendships with people that society would otherwise push to the margins. 
We live with that why because Jesus lived with that why. Because Jesus came to incarnate love, you and I and us together can become love incarnate. That's our why. We need to understand today that that's actually our only why. That if you think there are other agendas or reasons why we focus so exclusively and so primarily on this life of love expressed in compassion and justice, this is our only why. Some people think that we've moved in this direction because it's popular and it draws a crowd. Uh, personally, I would beg to differ. I think that moving in this direction over the years has actually cost us people over the years. Some people assume that it's the easy way out. It allows you in the grace and inclusivity that you exude to be soft on sin. Personally, that hasn't been my experience as entering into these kinds of unlikely friendships not only takes us out of our comfort zone, but it actually exposes us to our own brokenness in ways that huddling up in Christian subcultures, talking about other people's sin, never would. Some people think that, you know, this is just the kind of efficient way to behave or that this is the, the, the culturally trendy way. Jesus describes it as the narrow gate. And I feel like embodying the person of Jesus and actually cultivating unlikely reciprocal friendships with people that society pushes to the margins is actually the most countercultural thing that we can do and be. So let's appreciate, if you're wondering what the kind of hidden motive is, there is no hidden motive. We have one why and one why only, and that why has existed for years. The why of following and becoming like Jesus personally and together as a community because Jesus came as love incarnate so we personally and together can become incarnate love. Reminds me of a story that Pastor Tony Campolo once told about a time that he was doing itinerant preaching in Hawaii. And uh, because of the time change in Hawaii, he found himself uh, unable to sleep. And so he was kind of wandering the streets of Honolulu at three in the morning. And he walked into this diner that could only really be described as a legitimate greasy spoon. And he sat there, he ordered a, a, a donut and a coffee, and all of a sudden, around 3.30 in the morning, a, a group of street workers kind of entered in, eight or ten of them, and just kind of took over the diner in a conversation that was kind of unavoidable for Tony to listen to. In the course of the conversation, he learned that it was one of the street workers' birthdays the next day. But none of her friends were going to acknowledge that, to which she wasn't surprised, because as she expressed to them, no one had ever celebrated her birthday before. Well, as they left, that gave Tony an idea, and he approached the diner owner, and he asked them whether this particular street worker uh, ever visited this all that frequently. And the diner owner recognized that this group actually came in every single night at the exact same time, around 3.30 in the morning. And so Tony suggested that tomorrow they throw a birthday party for her. Well, the diner owner grabbed his wife from the, the back room and said, hey, uh, this guy wants to throw a party for Agnes because tomorrow's Agnes's birthday. What do you think? And the three of them went all in. The diner owner committed to baking the cake. Uh, his spouse uh, decided that they would get the word out, that they would be on invitations or at least get the word on the street, literally. And Tony was on for decorations. And they'd agreed that they were going to all reconvene at the diner at 2.30 in the morning the next night. Well, when Tony walked in carrying this cardboard banner saying, happy birthday, Agnes, he couldn't believe his eyes. 
because already at that point, the diner started filling with prostitutes. And, and by the, around quarter after three, it was wall-to-wall street workers. And sure enough, at 3.30, Agnes and her friend showed up to the ruckus embrace of happy birthday, Agnes. And Tony describes her response. He says, there never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her legs seemed to buckle a bit. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. And as she was led to sit on one of the stools along the counter, we all sang happy birthday to her. And as we came to the end of our singing with happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you, her eyes moistened. And then when the birthday cake with all the candles on it was carried out, she lost it and just completely cried. Tony describes that when they went to cut the cake, she actually resisted because she wanted to take the intact cake down the street to show her mother. Because never in her 39 years had anyone ever been able to provide her a birthday cake, let alone celebrate her birthday. And so as she walked out of that diner that night, she carried this birthday cake, hoisting it over her head like it was the Stanley Cup. Later on, as Tony and the diner owner and his wife were kind of cleaning up, the diner owner asked Tony, hey, uh, what do you do for a living? To which Tony kind of embarrassingly mumbled under his breath, you know, <laughs> preacher. Well, the diner owner was curious. He wondered what kind of church Tony preached at. And because Tony didn't want to get into all of the intricacies of Christian denominationalism or try to describe the dynamics of itinerant preaching at four in the morning, he simply looked at the diner owner and he said, well, I guess you could say I preach at the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. The diner owner looked at him and he kind of sneered and he said, no, you, no, you don't. He said, because there's no such church like that. He said, I don't believe a church like that exists. If a church like that exists, I'd be part of it. If you've heard me share that story before, you've been around Southridge Community Church for a long time. Because the last time I shared that story was right around 2013, around the 10-year anniversary of us becoming Southridge and I did that because 10 years earlier, around 2003, when we were considering relocating our community into kind of near the downtown core of the city of St. Catharines, to put ourselves in proximity to people, and especially people in our society that had been pushed to the margins, this story was one of the defining narratives that carried us. The vision that we could become the kind of community, the kind of church that threw birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And you know what? For the last almost 20 years, that's been our single and solo why to become that kind of community where Jesus, by his grace and faithfulness, has enabled us to become that and so much more. As we wrap up this edition of our Hope Lives series, I simply want to ask every single one of you, do you understand that? Do you understand the why of why we exist as a community and the why of the life we're inviting you into? 
because we do this Hope Lives series not just to invite you into a life of mutuality and reciprocity and not just to, to encourage you to participate in our anchor causes and not just to try to engage you in a life of love expressed through compassion and justice in a way that the anchor causes try to stimulate and not just to adopt a worldview of compassion and justice and the underlying heart attitudes of humility and generosity and inclusivity and grace. We're not just inviting you to pool our financial resources, especially this time of the year at year end, to do together what we otherwise could never do alone. We live with this why because this is why we're a church. And more fundamentally, because this is why we understand Jesus came and lived and died and rose again and wants to invite us into a life of following him personally and as a family and empower us by his spirit to do that. This is our one and only why. Because Jesus came to incarnate love, you and I and us together can become love incarnate. This is our why. To try to help us understand that in maybe a, a fresher or deeper kind of a way, uh, we actually had a donor contribute to a Christmas gift for all of you. And uh, this Christmas, we're able to give every one of you a copy of this book by Gregory Boyle. It's called Barking to the Choir, The Power of Radical Kinship. If you're in one of our uh, in-person services today, uh, we have one available for every person or family on your way out of the service. If you're catching the service online, pop by the church office sometime this week to pick up your copy. But uh, just to kind of wet your whistle a bit, here's a quote from the book. Gregory Boyle says, Jesus shows us that before things become mutually beneficial at the margins, they need to be mutually relational. Only connect. Again, our separation is an illusion. God invites us to always live on the edge of eternity, at the corner of kinship and mutuality. We only seek to create a connection of hearts to show others that they're seen acknowledged and embraced in the mutuality of value. I hope that this book and this Christmas gift helps you further and in a deeper way understand our why and appreciate that around here, we're not just trying to do some good out in the community. We're actually trying to do a greater good, arguably the greatest good, which has more to do with than just doing something. It's actually someone we're trying to be as we seek to put Jesus at the center and try to be and become more like him. He is our why. And because Jesus came to incarnate love, you and I and us together can become love incarnate. As we wrap up the service today, we felt like there was no gr greater way to respond to this invitation to embrace that why together than to participate in the spiritual practice of communion together. Uh, Jesus first instituted this in the very last meal that he had with his disciples before he gave his life up to death. That's why it's often referred to as the Lord's Supper. And when he did that, he encouraged his original disciples to do this in remembrance of him. That's what he said, to do this in remembrance of me, which is interesting. It kind of presupposes that his followers, Jesus already knew his followers would forget him, just like you and I sometimes forget Jesus as our why. 
But Jesus instituted these elements and this experience of taking the bread and taking the cup, representative of his broken body and his shed blood that together symbolize the new covenant of the life of love that we can live with him and together with each other that we can celebrate through this experience today. So if you're taking in this service online, there'll be a communion facilitator coming up in just a moment. For those of us taking this in, in one of our in-person locations, when the band starts to play, I invite all of you, if you feel this would be meaningful for you today, to come on up to the front, take a piece of bread, take a cup of juice, and eat and drink it right up at the front while you're there, knowing that the bread is gluten-free and the cup is alcohol-free. It's just grape juice. But we do this in the spirit of Jesus' invitation to do this in remembrance of him so that at the end of our Hope Lives series, we can anchor all of this in our why in the person of Jesus Christ. Simon Sinek once wrote a book saying to start with why. We're hoping that in our Hope Lives series, we can finish with why and never forget the reason why we do all of this. Because Jesus came as love incarnate, you and I and us together can become incarnate love. Let's celebrate that as we participate in communion together.